Welcome and thank you for joining us today on Friend of God, brought to you by Friendship Baptist Church in Sturges, Mississippi. It is our goal to take the Word of God to as many people as possible. We pray that you not only enjoy today's message, but more importantly, we hope and pray that it changes your heart and moves all of us to life change and action. God bless and enjoy. Amen. I just wanted to listen to them some more, so always enjoy the musicians and the sounds that they bring and the worship that they bring. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at what it means to suffer. What it means to suffer for Christ, what it means to suffer for our faith. And so, we're going to look at it from the passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. And, you know, part of that suffering for Christ is understanding that that God has a plan in all of this. That the suffering is not just to suffer. So, as we look at this passage, 1 Peter 4 chapter 12 it begins to ask some questions of ourselves. How can our perspectives be shaped to see suffering as beneficial? How many of us like to suffer? I think most of us would say no. Most of us don't like discomfort. Most of us don't like to suffer. Most of us don't like anxious feelings. Most of us don't like difficulties. Most of us don't like setbacks. Most of us don't like to be the odd person out. But sharing in the sufferings means that you're willing to walk according to the Spirit of God despite the sufferings that come. Because sometimes it's uncomfortable and, and altogether difficult to walk for Christ. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and altogether difficult to live for Christ in the place that we work. So suffering comes our way and we have to understand that as Christ suffered... We're going to suffer too if we're doing what we are supposed to do in Christ. So let's look at this passage as it breaks apart in this. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you were reviled for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So going through the suffering, we should rejoice, right? How many of us do that? But going through suffering, knowing that it, it proves in that testing that Christ is with us. It says here that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when you are ridiculed for the name of Christ. That's what happens when you and I go through the fires, when we go through the difficulties, when we deal with being persecuted for our faith, or we go through hard times, or we go through difficult moments in our lives because of the way that we live. And I believe that's an increasingly likely thing in this world we live in right now. Because if you say you're a Christian and you don't back it up, people really set out to disprove what you believe. But if you say you're a Christian, you demonstrate that you're a Christian, you love others, you go into other parts of the world where there are people that need to know the gospel, you do all of these things, then what's going to happen? Persecution, suffering, difficulty, hardships, and, and sometimes that's hard to make our way through. 
but knowing that his spirit, it rests with us and he is glorified. It is him within us we can consider ourselves blessed. It's not situational, right? The blessings of God are not situational. God is good to us all the time. And God gives us everything we need to be able to accomplish what he's called us to do. So the suffering that comes is of this life. So what kind of suffering brings glory to God? Sometimes we say that, we say, well, well, I'm going through something that's a personal suffering. I'm going through an illness. I'm going through a terminal illness. I'm going through a difficulty. I'm going through a sickness. I'm going through the loss of a loved one. I'm going through so many things. And you might say, well, well I'm going through this, so it's suffering for me. Suffering for Christ brings glory to God. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, Make sure that no one of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to give glory to God in his name. So, so in other words, we are to suffer for the right reasons, and that is to extend the glory of God into the lives of those around us, to extend the name of Christ to unreached people groups. And some of those people groups live within our own county, don't they? Sometimes we need to minister to those that are directly surrounding us. Students, you're going back to school later on this month, many of you, and you have an awesome opportunity when you sit in the chair that you've been assigned to, you're sitting in that chair, know that that's a divine assignment by God that says there are other people sitting around me that need to know about Jesus. And I've been placed here to tell, to show, to demonstrate in the way that I respond to the teacher, in the way that I, that I treat one another, in the way that I prepare, in the way that I study. All that I do is to glorify God. Some of you are athletes. You go on the field and you fight hard and you go through those. Some of you deal with illnesses and setbacks and hardships. Sometimes we deal with jobs and job issues and job loss and all those things and we think that's suffering but if we suffer because we are a believer in Christ a Christian then we don't need to be ashamed but glorify God in his name now we're going to take we're going to take a little bit of a side trip here and we're going to look at the story of Stephen and we're going to go over to Acts chapter 6 so Stay with one finger in 1 Peter 4, and we're going to go over to Acts chapter 6. Now in Acts chapter 6, we begin to see the reasoning why these guys were chosen. So there were, there were widows being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And so while they were gathering together, increasing in numbers, the disciples were, a complaint arose out of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because the widows were being overlooked daily serving of food. So there were 12 that summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So they needed some help. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So who was chosen? Verse 5 says, The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them, 
And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So when, whenever Stephen was doing the will that God had given him, God was doing something remarkable in his life, it began to garner attention, right? Both for the good, the glory, and the growth of the kingdom, but also those that were in opposition to the way, and those that were against the things that, that God wanted to do. So the opposition rose up in verse 9. It says, But some of the men who were from the synagogue of the freedmen, including the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some of Sicilia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Y'all, where did the wisdom and, and, and spirit come from? It came from an almighty connection to God, didn't it? It came from a rootedness in Him. It came from the fact that He understood what His assignment was. As those that were apostles were going to be over here doing these things, He was called among those seven to do something that others simply did not do. And so... What happened? They secretly induced man to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So what does that mean? That means that they found some people that were willing to tell whatever they needed to tell. So, so this was one of those things that was brought out. And this was one of those things that if you were bringing this against somebody in a public forum, this would be one that took them down. So it discredited them. Blasphemous words against Moses, against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us and fixing their gaze on him all who were sitting at the council saw his face like the face of an angel so we see in the next next verses in verse 1 through 50 just to kind of give a summary of what verses 1 through 50 says Stephen defends his position by sharing the wisdom of God from the beginning of scripture throughout the day up until that day in chapter 7 verses 1 through 50 and I challenge you to return to that and really dig in and read what they're coming with, what he's bringing back here. But at the conclusion of chapter 7, Stephen has words for those that are opposing. Now, whenever you and I are serious about our faith and we have words that we bring in, biblical words, words of wisdom from God that, that are given to us that are meant to convict to change the hearts of those around him. This is what he brings back in verse 51. He says this, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So you can imagine when Stephen's saying all of these things, that that just makes everybody want to come give him a hug, doesn't it? That makes all those men want to come up and just congratulate him, right? That makes them mad, right? 
Because he said all of these things. And at the root of all of these things, they're saying, you know what, there's some truth behind this. So when they get defensive about this, they, they, they are really acknowledging all of this, but they're saying all of these words that were spoken were true, but created anger. And then they called for Stephen's death. But we should note in this sense, what does he do when he is pronounced this sentence of death? Does he start hurling more insults? Does he start throwing down and getting mad? Here's what he does. Verse 54 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But here's something that's important, which suffering for Jesus ties into. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was willing to walk the road and count the cost of what it meant to live for Christ, to suffer for Christ, to die for Christ. He was willing to do all of that so that the glory of God might make its way into the people around so that they might know Jesus as Lord and Savior and see the reality of it. Because there could have been a time where Stephen just said, you know, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to go sit on my back row and I'm not going to say or do anything that's going to charge anybody else. But what he said is that God has given me a task. And although I have to suffer because of that task, and Stephen, although he had to die because of that task, he did not hold that resentment. What did he do? He said, forgive him. But you, you notice in those last few verses, who was also there in attendance? Saul, right? Saul saw a lot of what was going on. And part of the story of Saul is the stoning of Stephen that brought Saul to that Damascus road that changed his life. God doesn't waste opportunities, does He? He uses even our own suffering for His glory. He uses our suffering to grow us, but yes, also to move us where He wants us to be. And so we transition back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And in this understanding of suffering, and in this understanding of what God has called us to do, the judgment that happens, happens first, where? In the house of the Lord. It happens in the household of God. It starts there, verse 17, it says this, it says, For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? 
So we getting ourselves in order, the house of God getting themselves in order, and doing the hard things helps those who don't know Jesus Christ, the godless man and the sinner. So the question that led me out of this is, who do you and I, who do you and I entrust our soul to? Who do we entrust our soul to? Because that's not something we just want to give away, right? We don't just want to trust our soul to everything we come in contact with. You know, I think about it like this when the, when the young ones start dating. When the young ones start dating, they love everybody they ever date, don't they? I love them. And then they break up. And then 10 days later, I love them. They break up 10 days later. We don't want to entrust our soul like that to others, right? To things of this world, to the flesh and the desires of this life, and the things that so easily tear us apart. We don't want to entrust that. And so not just anybody will I hope in. Verse 19 says, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Y'all look at that. Faithful, right? That means that God never ever lets us down. Doesn't forsake us in our time of need. Faithful creator created all things in doing what was right. What is right there? So we entrust ourselves to God Almighty. We are led by the Spirit in our lives. So part of that is a suffering, a call to suffering. Starts with a call to take up one's cross and follow Him. Y'all, the Christian life is one of endurance and perseverance, isn't it? Y'all, we have to endure a lot in this life for the glory and for the name of Christ to be glorified in this world that others might know of the faith that we have regardless of the suffering that comes our way. Because if we're doing things in the right manner, suffering is going to come. Endurance, perseverance, holding fast to what we believe in means that we have to have a complete surrender to God. Complete means that we don't hold anything aside or hold anything back, but we surrender it all to Him. Matthew 16, 24 is where I'm going with this particular thing. It says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So every moment, every suffering, every difficulty, every hardship is entrusted to His providence. Every mountain, every valley, every giant, every happy moment, a moment in our lives is within God's plan. Everything. And we are called to follow Him regardless of what the cost is because we know the validity and the change that can happen within the cross of Christ. So let's take a look at this before we break into our time of invitation. Follow me. 
child. The road is long and the world is wide. I know this place to you is unfamiliar. In the shadows you feel so small. But I will be with you. I've traveled this path before, and I know the way. Follow me, child. I will not promise that it's always easy. scrapes and bruises, thirst and sweat and midday sun. You will at times feel weary as your burdens seem to grow. The next step may be hard to see, but I will be with you. I've been this way before. shadow, there is rest. I will not abandon you or lead you astray because you are mine. I am with you. I've been this way before. And I know that when you see what I have seen, evaporates, burdens are forgotten, and you will never regret a single step you took when you followed in my shadow. Thank you for joining the Friendship Family today. Your time is your most valuable commodity, and we are enormously grateful that you chose to share some of it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page. Both links can be found in the show notes below. Although we would greatly appreciate you leaving this podcast a rating or review, we would be eternally grateful if you would be willing to share it with someone else. We pray you have a God-filled day, and please remember, love God, love people, and reach the world.